Well, good morning, everyone. Like Aaliyah said, my name's Evan Wickham, and if you're new or visiting, my wife Sandy and I have the privilege, true privilege, of leading this church, and we just want to welcome you to Park Hill Church. For most of 2024, we are journeying through the book of Acts, and this is the third, someone's excited back there, this is the third teaching in the series. Here's the big idea. Remember the big idea of this book. Here it is. Do you have slide one? Big idea of Acts. There it is. The good news of the risen King Jesus leads to the formation of communities, just like Aaliyah said, the formation of communities where individuals from various backgrounds are treated with equality as they pledge their allegiance to Jesus and live according to his teachings. That's what the book of Acts is all about. You know what this means? It means we are the church. We are the new family of Jesus in the world. We've been empowered by God's spirit to partner with God in bringing his kingdom on earth until Jesus physically returns to finish the kingdom bringing job. And the good news is we're not alone in this. So whether you lead a community or participate in a community with your gifts uh, here at Park Hill Church, the Holy Spirit is here to empower you to do all this stuff. Through our words, as we tell people about Jesus, through our life, and also through the way we live as we become more like him. So the question we're going to talk about today in this teaching, I'm about to read the text. The question is, what does this look like? How are we supposed to do this Christianity thing in 21st century San Diego? That's a big question. How should the church live like Jesus together in the world? Have you ever wondered, what's the point of church? Have you wondered this? I hope so. I hope you've wondered why you're here. <laughs> That's a really good thing to like think critically about. What, what's the point of church? This is a huge question. And if you're here and you're still wondering that, you came on the right Sunday because we're unpacking the rest of Acts chapter 2 today, which is probably the best place in the whole Bible to see how the church got started and what in the world the church is supposed to be doing. So before we read the text, I want to let you know something. Uh, today is going to be a different kind of day. A beautiful one. In response to where we're at in Acts, not only is it Baptism Sunday, you can see the Baptist, bas, baptismal tank there, not only is it Baptism Sunday, but we're also including the whole church family in celebrating baptisms today. Not just adults, but the kids are all in today, too. So several parents in the church have asked Park Hill leaders, like, hey, we'd love to lead our kids to baptism, uh, but our kids can't, we don't, they don't know what it is, and we want the right words to tell our kids what baptism means. We need help teaching our kids about baptism. How do we do that? And you guys, that's an amazing desire. Beautiful. And we, so we think the best way to learn something is to experience it firsthand. And so today, parents in the room, immediately after this teaching, you parents will be dismissed to get your kids and then bring every child back into this room to watch some of their friends and leaders get baptized today. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. There will even be a moment I talk directly to only the kids. And you guys just kind of watch me have a moment with the kids uh, where I explain to them what's going on here. So, okay, how does that sound? Okay, so with that said, let's get into this, this text. I'm going to read most of Acts 2. It's a good chunk, 29 verses. So I invite you to sit and maybe, maybe shut your eyes or breathe kind of in a space of imagination and really place yourself in the story. And just to bring you up to speed, remember last week, 
What's this story? How does it start? It's a birthday of the church. Day one. The first 120 Christians are gathered together in Jerusalem. All the smells of an ancient city and the sights and the sounds of a multicultural crowd from all the nations are gathered to celebrate this Jewish holiday. And so uh, what happens is the Holy Spirit suddenly comes in style, right? Just fire and wind. There's, there's this show that God puts on just to say, hey, these are my people, and I want to get all people on board with my family project. And so what do the people, what do the first Christians do? They start speaking different languages. And all the people around them hear their own languages through people that didn't know their languages before. Full-on miracle. They hear the wonderful works of God in their own languages. And some people, most people are shocked. It's like, what is going on? How is this happening? And then some aren't shocked. They are making fun. <laughs> and uh, they're accusing the Christians of actually being hammered, uh, wasted. And so here it is. Here's where the story starts. Imagine the moment. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That's kind of like a Bible joke right there. It's... So no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who dwells calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. 
exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. We just read the story of the first sermon in the church. Peter preaches this sermon and it's very effective. Right? 3,000 people end up pledging allegiance to Jesus and getting baptized on the spot. 3,000. So it's before microphones or electricity or anything else. This probably means everyone within earshot of Peter's sermon actually becomes a Christian in this moment. You guys, what, a, what kind of message is that? Like, what kind of sermon is that powerful? I mean, we, re- we just read it. And look at, the, look at the response. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what, what do we do? Tell us just how to obey this. So you see the thousands of people collectively undone. Their hearts are cut open. Just like, tell us what to do, family. I'll do it. I mean, what kind of message? Think about it. What kind of message generated that level of response? Can you imagine? Well, we actually get to look at this message right now. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you guys, we're, we're kingdom people. We're like fans of people becoming Christians, right, right? We should be like on the edge of our seat right now. Like, what kind of message gets that kind of response? We should be pumped that we get to unpack it right now. Am I right? Like, and, and I think the silence in the room is pretty typical for today, actually, right now. We're just like, I don't get it. <laughs> you're sm- maybe you're just smiling. You kind of chuckle right now. You, you hear Peter's sermon and you're like, I, it did nothing for me. It was a lot of theology and Old Testament Jewish stuff. I don't get it. And totally, this chapter is very famous for Christians mainly because of the dramatic opening, like wind and fire and tongues, Holy Spirit. We like that part. And then we like the ending part where everybody gets baptized, sings Kumbaya and shares all their money and stuff. And they hang out in each other's houses and have community group. Um, but we don't like the middle part. The Peter's sermon part, we're like, I don't know, I like the Holy Spirit thing, but then Peter starts talking about like blood moons and dreams and eclipses and explosions and with some obscure quotes from the Psalms. And we're like, what is Peter talking about? And, and why is that disconnect happening right now? Why is that disconnect there for us? Here's a simple reason. 
We like to remind ourselves of, of this at Park Hill. The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Okay, you open your Bible, it's not written to you. It's absolutely for you, but it's not to you. We try to remind ourselves of this here. And, and Peter's sermon is a good example of this happening to us. You see, Peter's sermon is electrifying, shocking, subversive. It's controversial in all the best ways to a first century Jewish audience. Like if his sermon was a TikTok video, it would be the most viral video on ancient internet by far. Now, it would take me like four hours to unpack everything Peter's doing in his sermon and show you everything he's doing with the Old Testament and all that. So we don't have time. We don't have time for that. So, so today, I want to boil down Peter's sermon to like, it's the basic sauce. So we're going to just boil it down to a sauce, okay? So I'm going to explain a concept. It's this core. Here it is. Extremely familiar to the first hearers, almost lost on us. And it's this concept called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, okay? Peter brings it up by quoting the prophet Joel. Here it is. Peter quotes Joel from Peter's Bible, which was even older than Peter. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So Peter brings up the day of the Lord here, and then his whole sermon is about this, the coming of the day of the Lord. So what is the day of the Lord? Okay, here we go. I'm... I'm I'm kind of in a youth pastor mode. I'm trying to transition to like talking to kids at the end of the sermon. So I'm actually going to use some volunteers from the audience for like real people, like, like object lessons. So can I have just a volunteer stand up here? You're not going to say anything. You're just going to stand there. Anybody? Anybody want to stand? Let's just have fun. We're at youth camp. Good. Yeah. Come on, Ken. So, so go all the way, all the way to like here. And, and Ken, uh, as soon as you stand there, face, face, face the church and you are uh, a Abraham. Okay, so, so far left of the timeline, this is, this is history. I'm gonna need two more people, so just get ready. Get, get bold. Uh, so you can, yeah, so can you say, I'm Abraham? Great. Iconic father, yes, wait your turn. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. <laughs> Iconic father of three world religions, right? All the Abrahamic faiths claim this guy. So you are 2000 BC. You need to be further back in time. So 2000 BC, and, and God has called you to bless the whole earth through your family. And now, um, uh, uh, Alexis, you can come forward, and you can be 1000 BC. Fast forward, huge fast forward. Abraham's kids have formed a kingdom called Israel, and they're located in what we today call Israel-Palestine. So he wasn't there yet. But he got there, and now they're fully there, a whole nation. Israel, Palestine, this is like King David, 1000 BC, Solomon, the first temple was built. Okay, this is like peak Israel at their zenith. And, and then, um, and then uh, yes, come on. You need to sit, stand very close, like right here. So this is 500. So we got 2000 BC, 1000, now 500 BC. And, and um, can you say, I'm destroyed? Yes. So, so the kingdom's gone. Wiped out. It got divided because, because this guy rebelled. He acted like all the other nations. And so God removed his protection and all the kingdoms invaded. And the people of God are scattered. Now, now all the people of God are scattered. Can you guys scatter back to your seats? 
great. Great. Good job. I was a youth pastor for seven years. So there, there's a little bit of that. Um, so they're scattered. And so by the time we get here, now I'm in 30 AD or 40 AD. That's where, right here in the middle. And there's no place in the world where Jewish people have actual power. Right? There's no actual political power. Everywhere the Jewish people are, they're under oppressors. So first Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and now even the Jews in their own Israel-Palestine are under Roman, the Roman boot, right? And so in their backyard, they're oppressed. And now for a first century Jew, this is a hugest bummer you can imagine, deeply offensive. In fact, you could say our world is completely upside down. It's completely wrong. Why? Well, we have to get into their brains. Imagine all of us are the chosen people. God chose us from all the nations. We know the true God. Everyone else around us, they don't know God. They like worship idols, sacrifice infants. But we know the true and living God. Those other nations are violent. We know God's heart. We know God doesn't want violent pagans ruling the world. God wants to rule the world, and he's good. He chose he chose Ken, Abraham. He chose our ancestor to bless the world and then the kings to form a kingdom. So we're supposed to be in charge because if we're in charge, God's in charge. Uh, but what happened, this is so frustrating to admit, we messed up. We lost our kingdom. We rebelled against God and now we're scattered because if we're really honest, like if I'm sitting in confession or therapy, and I'm really honest, Israel, and I'm really honest with people, I didn't honor God any more than the pagans. We didn't honor God any more than Rome. We actually rebelled against God just like everyone else, if we're honest. And this is really offensive to us. So all we can do is cry out, how long, O oh Lord, until you forgive us? Like, how much of your law must we obey before we see your forgiveness? And your forgiveness is going to look like healed land. Political power is back. This is what all God's prophets said would happen if God would just forgive us and restore the kingdom to Israel. The prophets all described a glorious day is coming when God is going to turn the world right side up. The day is coming. We're waiting for it. And that day has a name. Can you guess what that day is? The day of of the Lord. So there's a slide for you. This is the Old Testament view of the world. This is how the Jews, before Jesus, viewed the world. There's the former days and there's the last days. And the transition is the day. In the former days, all the empires that are evil run the world. In the last days, oh, it's coming. God's going to establish his reign and the power of heaven will be unleashed on earth. Won't that be wonderful? God is good and he'll have his good way. And what's going to happen? What's this going to look like? How do we know when it's here? Well, this is how the Old Testament prophets describe it. Number one, uh, what happens is those bad empires will be overthrown and there will be some kind of rule from God, whether it's God himself or God's man. We're not sure. Actually, the Old Testament's kind of unclear. 
when, when the kingdom comes, is God going to be king himself or is God going to have a human representative? The Old, the Old Testament's like, eh, not really clear. You kind of see both. And the second thing that will happen is the Spirit will be poured out on every one of God's people. You guys, we hear this today and we're like, oh, I love the Holy Spirit. That's so nice. No, no, that's, this is a huge deal for them. You have to understand, if God's the new emperor, and if all Jesus' followers have God's spirit, that means everyone's connected with the emperor personally. It's like all of us have the president's personal cell phone, whether we like it or not, you know? This is, and imagine the president is perfect and good and has the best interest and is infinitely wise and can do anything and everything he desires and his desires are good and you have his phone number. So like, this is massive. And you know what that is also? It's a massive flattening of the hierarchy. Because now everyone has proximity to power. There's no disempowered member of this kingdom. This calls into question every other social structure, every other social hierarchy, whether it's family structure, economic structure, political, military, you name it, they're all up for grabs at the day of the Lord. And then if you toss in there two more, the resurrection of the dead and God's people reigning the world, you guys, we have this kingdom that is a cataclysmic shift in human history. In fact, that's why Joel uses that blood moon, lunar eclipse language. He's not saying it'll literally happen at a lunar eclipse. He's saying it'll feel cataclysmic, apocalyptic. Everything you know will shift. So now the power of heaven, next slide, is unleashed on earth, creating new ways of being human, leading to the complete restructuring of human society around King Jesus. So what? So rethink everything. This is the day of the Lord. And that's what the first century Jews were waiting for. No one had the power to pull it off. They were waiting for God to turn the world right side up. And so on the first day of the church, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he stands up and he's like talking to a group of people specifically waiting for that. And he's like, that has come. So rethink everything. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to them? Now that we understand their context a little better, Peter's sermon actually becomes very, very simple. So in listicles style, it's like three reasons why the day of the Lord is here. Reason one, the Spirit is obviously poured out. If you have your Bible open to Acts 2, just scan verses 40, 14 through 21. Peter basically quotes Joel where it says, I'll pour out my Spirit from elderly to youth, from women to men, everyone gets the Holy Spirit. And Peter's like, look around, people. You have a bunch of Galilean fishermen speaking dozens of different languages. No one in Galilee learns like multilingual things. That's podunk Israel. And yet look at what's happening. What does this mean? The day of the Lord is here. It's all it can mean. Reason number two, Jesus' death and resurrection means he's God's Messiah. Scan in your Bible, Acts 2, verses 22 through 32 in Peter's sermon. Peter uses David's psalm. King David was like the best king Israel ever had. He's like the ultimate king in their history. And he uses David's authority to make this brilliant argument that Jesus' death and resurrection marks him off as, as the Messiah of God's new kingdom. So that's a double whammy. 
because you get Messiah, King of God's kingdom, and you get resurrection, which means it's forever, which can only mean one thing. The day of the Lord is here because Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And then finally, reason number three Peter gives, Jesus' ascension means earth is now being directly ruled from heaven. So if you look at verses 33 through 35 in Peter's sermon, he again points to David, where David quotes, David writes Psalm 110, which is about a king. David actually says, there's a king bigger than me who is coming later, who I call the Lord, who sits in God's throne. It just blows minds. And so when that king starts ruling, that's when the day of the Lord is here. So reason number three, the day of the Lord is here. Jesus ascended to the throne of heaven. The day of the Lord is here. So Peter sums up his whole message with this sentence. Therefore, here's why this matters. Let all Israel, everyone who's God's person, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Messiah is that human king figure they're waiting for, reigning over earth. And Lord is that heavenly king figure reigning from heaven's throne. So remember what I said earlier about the Old Testament being unclear? Is the reign going to be God's reign or is it going to be a reign by God's representative human? Is God going to reign or is God's man going to reign? To which Peter responds, yep. It's God and God's man. Fully God and fully man. The man Jesus Christ who is Yahweh himself. How's that for the arrival of the day of the Lord, you guys? And now the people's response. Here's how they respond. Again, uh, it says, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut in their, in their core, in their heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, just tell us what to do. What, tell, us how to follow, how, tell us how to say yes. Do you see that? response, full, humble, surrender response. Because they've been praying and waiting and dreaming about the day of the Lord, and now God's turning their world right side up. The very thing they've been longing for. Peter's like, it's here. And here's, here's why this matters, you guys. Because that was just as true for them, Abraham, 2000 BC, 1000 BC, 500, The day of the Lord is here for them now. It's just as true for them as it is for us in 21st century San Diego. So Park Hill Church family, the day of the Lord is here. Hey, brother or sister visiting from another community and you're here today, the day of the Lord is here. So if you're you're here visiting and you're sort of feeling out the whole Jesus and church thing, getting familiar, Guess what? The day of the Lord is here. So rethink everything. Now at this point, questions pop up. Hasn't the day of the Lord been here a long time? That was 2,000 years ago when Peter said that. And the answer is, yep, it has been 2,000 years, which is fine. 
Because the Old Testament prophets don't tell us how long this day of the Lord thing is going to last. They don't say how long. But the New Testament writers, they do help us out a little bit. Here's an updated slide. You saw the first one. Now here's the New Testament view of history on the bottom. So you see uh, those two moments. See the cross and that other line. Those are Jesus' two arrivals. These are his two comings. At Jesus' first coming was his life. He was born to Mary, you know, born in a manger. Life, teachings, died, rose, and ascended. His second coming, Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, get rid of all sin and Satan and death. And the New Testament writers see that middle part as the whole day of the Lord. So the entire period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming is what the, the writers of the Bible call the day of the Lord. Here at Park Hill, we call that the messy middle, where the kingdom of God coexists with the kingdoms of the world. And as San Diegans in 2024, right now we're somewhere in that middle period of time. And you guys, it's getting close to 2,000 years. In our lifetime, we will pass the 2,000 year mark since Jesus in most of our lifetimes in this room. And, and we're still there. We're still in the day of the Lord. How do we know we're still in it? How do we know we're still in the day of the Lord? Because the Holy Spirit is still working among his people. He's healing people who call upon his name. He's, find, he's helping people find belonging in community who were lost and lonely. They find family. He's forgiving sin for all who repent. He's reconciling enemies and making them family. God is still transforming lives, you guys, as his people bear witness to Jesus. And the church equips and sends people into the world with the Holy Spirit's power. This is the day of the Lord. Next week, we're going to hear from our latest church planter, David Wade. He's going to preach all about how we become more like Jesus through practicing prayer and scripture reading in community. And then after David teaches, we're inviting everyone in this church to celebrate the Wade family send-off with tacos and lunch outside. So please come. Uh, because you know why? Because we're witnessing the day of the Lord. Where the Holy Spirit empowers and equips families like the Wades to plant and establish churches to bear witness to Jesus until Jesus comes back when church planting won't be a thing anymore. Why won't church planting be a thing? Because church gatherings won't be a thing. Because the bread and cup of Jesus will no longer be a sign pointing forward. Instead, the Lord Jesus will be fully here, drinking the cup of new creation with us in his Father's kingdom. Until then, we are the church. Reigning in, Jesus is reigning in heaven right now while the kingdoms of this world are fading away as we live faithfully in the messy middle by the power of the Spirit. You guys, the day of the Lord has come. So rethink everything. Rethink everything in your life. This is a massive message, obviously, right? All-encompassing. There's, so there's so much we could say about the day of the Lord, but let's end this sermon very simple. How do we respond to this? What's the right response to this? Rethink everything. What does that mean? What, well, what does Peter say? What does Peter say our response should be? Two things together. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far away. For, in other words, everyone you wrote off. This promise is for everyone you've written off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So the primary response, repent, be baptized. Have you all responded in this way? Have you all responded by repenting and being baptized? So what does that word repent mean? I think the word repent has fallen on hard times. Like repent because you're so evil and you're going to burn and all that. Notice that's not the language around the word repent. What does repent mean? I've actually said what it means like four times already in this teaching. It means rethink everything. (laughs) Change your mind about things in light of the day of the Lord. So, you guys, repent does not mean to feel really sorry about your sin. You understand? I want to say that again. Repent does not mean feel really bad about your sin. Uh, Let me be very clear here. You can feel really sorry about your sin and repent, and you can feel really sorry about your sin and not repent. Right? Because if you didn't actually change the direction of your life, then you didn't repent. Repent means to change direction in light of the day of the Lord. So whatever way you were going before, you need to turn around, pledge allegiance to Jesus, and if there's anything currently in your life that's out of alignment with God's kingdom, then rethink that and bring it into alignment with Jesus today and live fully in God's kingdom. And now, how many of you are perfect at this? Perfect, you're always always in repentance, perfectly. None of us? Good. That's true. None of us are perfect. We all sin, which means all of us have things we need to constantly bring back into alignment with Jesus. And that's the point of repentance. You guys, the point of repentance is not make sure you don't mess up or else. The point of repentance is when we do mess up, because we will, all of us, we then humbly and joyfully come unhidden in Christian community and willingly bring our mess-ups to Jesus for complete forgiveness and healing every time. We can all do that. We can all do that. So just, I remember a moment in my life where this really came alive for me. It was later in life, like my late 30s, mid-30s, late 30s, yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, I was sitting in seminary in cohort. I'm like, you know, being trained to be a pastor, and uh, about 10 other guys in the room, and my mentor, Gary Bashirs, who's been here several times, he was talking about 1 Timothy 3. You know what that chapter is, right? Some of you know. It's about the qualifications of a church leader and the qualifications of an elder. Like, if you want to lead the church, here's the requirements. And do you know what the first qualification of a church elder is? Do you know the, the word? Above all, an elder must be Someone blameless. That's right. To be an elder, requirement number one on the list, being blameless. Which is why I never wanted to do this in my whole life. Uh, especially, And just add to that growing up a pastor's kid where none of those dudes were blameless. You know? Or none of those dudes were sinless in my view. So, so that's... 
I didn't want to be a church planner because of this. I was afraid. Who can be blameless? Who can be blameless? Only Jesus, right? So I spoke up in the seminary. I'm like, I'm like, Gary, an elder has to be sinless. Who could live like that? He was like, hold on, Evan, read your Bible again. Does it say sinless? I'm like, no, it says blameless. What's the difference? He's like, huge. I'm like, tell me more. I'm confused. And he goes, I'll never forget what he said next. He said, blameless doesn't mean you never sin. Blameless means you do the right thing with your sin. Huge. It means you want your sin identified. When you sin and you will, you want it unhidden. That's the blameless person. That's the qualified leader. Of course you're going to sin. It's what you do with it that makes you the blameless person. And then you change your direction toward Jesus. All the time, we're changing our direction towards Jesus. So the blameless person is the repentant person who just lives the turned around life, always turning around life. That's the meaning of repent. That's how to rethink everything because the day of the Lord is here. So he says, repent, and then he says, be baptized. And here's where we wrap the sermon, right? Where it's baptism Sunday. We're going to bring the kids in in a minute. So what is baptism? The word baptism means to get soaked, literally, to get soaked, immersed. It's this ritual that Jesus gave us. Jesus didn't give us many rituals. He gave us like two, bread and cup, baptism. And so from Jesus, baptism is this way human beings get soaked in their identity as loved children of God, belonging to a new family. Now, here at Park Hill, here's, we talk about baptism like this. Baptism is to kingdom life as a wedding is to married life. So it's the moment you officially kick off your covenant relationship with God and his family. Just like in a wedding, if you've been to a wedding or whatever, you, you know what they are. Like there's people standing up in front in front of a community, right? Loved ones and friends, and they declare their intent, right? There's, that's actually a moment in the ceremony, a declaration of intent to trust, lifelong commitment to a whole new marriage relationship. In the same way, baptism is this moment for every Jesus follower through all history where a person stands before their people. To be baptized is to say, y'all are my people. That's what you say. That's what baptism is saying. That's why no one is ever baptized alone, ever, in uh, the scriptures, and except in very persecuted moments in church history. But to be baptized is to say at least to one other person, y'all are my people. And, and, and then you stand before your community and declare trust in this covenant relationship with God and his family. As if to say, I identify first and foremost with Christ, every other identity takes a back seat. And I identify with this family above all other families. So any family that comes at odds with this family actually takes a back seat to this family value of the kingdom of God. And then, you know what happens? You go under the water, you come up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit comes on you to empower you for God's mission in the world using your unique wiring he already created in you. And so now you're part of the kingdom. You never need to be baptized again. That's why we strongly encourage people seeking 
re-baptism, they're like, I was baptized as a child, I want to do it again. We actually strongly encourage you to remember your baptism and trust that what God did lasted forever. Now all you got to do is come to communion. Renew your vows with the church for the rest of your life. That's all you need. Because when you're baptized, what did, what did you get? What do you get when you're baptized? Look at verse 38 and 39 again. Here's what you get. I love how clear this is. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. That means your relationship with God is restored. You become a child of God, loved, daughter, or son. And, he, and God gives you his best now. What's God's best? Himself, the gift of the Holy Spirit, his personal presence with you, inseparable from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And who is this promise for? For you. Today, February 4th is the day of the Lord. For you. And your children. So, uh, <laughs> and for all who are far off. Those that you've written off that aren't even in the room. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So we're going to celebrate the baptism of young and old today. Uh, one of whom will be... Um, at, at the 10.30, my own youngest son, River, is going to be baptized today. He just told us in the last couple of weeks he's, he's pumped about it, and he's in. He's going under. He wanted to test the temperature of the water this morning first, so he got to do that. So uh, he said, oh, it's not that cold, he said. So take his word for it. <laughs> so what kind of family do we get? Yeah, forgiveness of sins, Holy Spirit, but what about community? I'm lonely. Well, well look, look, at, look at these verses. David Wade is going to unpack them more next week, so let's just read this. This is the family you get. So verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. How many people got this family? 3,000. What kind of family did they get? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, everyone filled with awe, many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple, kind of like Sunday morning, and they broke bread in their homes, kind of like community groups, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor. I love verse 47. It's possible to worship God and not be a jerk to the city. Praising God and the city loves that we're here. That is possible, even in hostile Roman territory. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You guys, what's going on there? What is going on? I'll tell you. The day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord has come. The community of the Spirit is here. You're invited to join so now, we're going to invite the parents to go pick up their kids from class now. And all uh, the worship team guys, the band, you guys can come up and start singing. And we're going to celebrate some baptisms. We're going to take two songs celebrating God's presence. God is present to us in the room right now. We're going to do baptisms. We're going to do communion. But right now, can we just sing where we're at? Thanking God for this reality. The day of the Lord is here. So can I pray over us? Heavenly Father... Have your way in our children, the church's children. Have your way in those who are advanced in years, those who are 60, 70, 80 years old in our church. Have your way in those of us who are 
what culture calls young adults. Have your way in young and old, women and men. May we dream dreams of the kingdom of God, ways that you're using us to tell people about your son, Jesus Christ. May we have visions of how we might become more like Jesus creatively in San Diego through starting beautiful nonprofit organizations or just ministry to our neighbors. Through our words and our actions, bring on the kingdom, God. And we repent. We repent of sins and pride and arrogance and the racism in our own hearts and the partiality and the division, the political power games that we're given over to in our culture, we repent. Please, God, expose. We willingly want you to expose our sin because with you and with repentance, there's refreshment and joy and there's forgiveness. So what do we have to hide? So church, I'd love for you to take this moment to come unhidden before God, whatever that means. Maybe it means telling someone you came with that God spoke to you about sin of some kind, repentance. But just worship him. And um, we don't have a ton of time to do all the things like pray up front and communion and because we're going to baptize some young and old today. But right now during this song and a half, say, Holy Spirit, help me come unhidden and then obey him, whatever that means. So can we sing? Feel free to stand or sit or move around, but let's sing to him as we repent and worship.